So welcome to Caring for the Future. In this podcast, we ask the big questions to tackle the care sector's most difficult challenges. I am your host, Richard Keyes. As founder and CEO of 2IC Care, I champion the role that a modern solution can play to create better care outcomes. In each episode, I'll be speaking to an expert in the field. In today's episode, Should Care Leaders Think Beyond 2025? I'm pleased to introduce Ben Wiegand, who is the former head of innovation for United Health Group. Ben, why don't you introduce yourself? Thanks, Richard. Um, glad to be here this morning. My name is Ben Wiegand. Um, I've been in healthcare for about 30 years, 25 years from the product side, working through a number of different innovation roles at Johnson & Johnson. And the last few years, as you mentioned, is leading the innovation efforts at United Health Group, which is a major insurer in the United States. So let's get to today's question. Should care leaders think beyond 2025? I don't want to preach to the choir. This question is, of course, referring to the impending 2025 analogue to digital transition deadline. Because so many care providers are still reliant on analogue, this transition is wearing heavily on the minds of care providers. The The transition needs to be smooth because of the obligation not to negatively impact anyone so therefore, Ben, is, is the best approach a short-term focus tunnel vision on the transition, or should decision makers in the sector think more broadly and longer term? That's a great question, Richard. Let me answer it in this way. I actually think it's an and. So there's a famous saying that execution is the chariot of genius. And so to be able to focus on delivering what is needed in the here and now is critical for technology success. At the same time, we need to have a vision of where we're going, and it's important to think about our decisions today and how they impact where we're going before. If I could give you an example, let's think about what we just went through during the COVID-19 pandemic. We had a very short-term structure that we had to deal with the issues that were presenting us during that pandemic. However, they've unlocked really what I call three really interesting areas that we should be thinking about in the future. Number one is that information from the individual is very personal. And we saw that COVID affected everybody very uniquely. Number two is that information is timely, that depending upon when I understood when someone had the disease or when and how I treated it had a huge effect on outcomes at the end of the day. And number three is we saw that we could deliver home health care in a very interesting way, much more than having everyone come to the hospital. I think about understanding these three elements allow us to think about where healthcare should go in the future. And so when we're doing this digital analog to digital transition, if we can think about some of these higher order um, vision statements, it helps us to both execute with excellence, but also think about where where healthcare is going in the future. Well, thanks, Ben. Uh, Thanks for sharing that. It's been really great. Now, as a leader of innovation, I'm interested to know what, what do you think will prevent anybody from thinking beyond 2025, i.e. what's the mindset shift that needs to take place? What stops people adopting new new capabilities and technologies? That's a great question. I would share a few thoughts. One is I think all of us realize today or feel like today that we're probably more busier and we're more stressed than we've ever been before. So the idea of of having time to think about the future is hard. You got to actually to plan for it. Um, John F. Kennedy, a U.S. president, once said the best time to change the roof tiles is when the sun is shining, not when it's raining and when you're trying to fix the leak. And we oftentimes don't make time to do that. So that's real. A a personal example, um, when I joined Johnson & Johnson, I was responsible for the Band-Aid business. We made 8 billion Band-Aids a year. 
and people constantly came to me and said, Ben, here's the future of Band-Aid. I wasn't interested in that personally. Even though I love innovation, I had to make 8 billion Band-Aids every year. And my ability to think about the future was minimized by the daily quotas that I had to deliver. And so without support from senior management, without getting at the entire ecosystem supported on a longer vision, that says if we can think about how with more personalized information delivered to the caregivers where they need it, potentially in the home, potentially to the doctors and nurses available, it's harder for them to say, I'm going to have to give up some short-term um, quota delivering to help implement these longer-term visions. Yeah, that, that's that's absolutely right from my experience too, Ben. And I, and I guess the other one is, is the procurement side of this. So somebody who was in your position who was really, you know, driving innovation, you still got to bring the people, the commissioners and the, the, the procurement departments along for that journey as well. Oh, absolutely. And, and again, and I think the, the, the beauty of these stories is if we can show where the long-term vision is and say, here's where we'd like to be in the next five to 10 years, but let's take some steps back. So think about the technology today. If we can help provide information to people that's helpful to them, and that's the ability to sort of work through this analog to digital transition. So we're able to provide the same information, but maybe in a more seamless, more efficient way that solves their short-term needs. However, if I can now take the same information and use it to potentially predict future episodes. So now I can potentially do a better job of keeping people out of hospitals because I can do better care at home or better ways to say, look, here's where someone may need an emergency service that they would not have needed before in a, in a less stressful environment. It's a win-win. And I think as long as we think about meeting the short-term needs and the longer-term needs with this longer-term vision, we have the best chance of success. What, what do you think about um, getting people to adopt new technologies? Because they're all a bit scary. Um, we used to have a term, uh, reckless conservatism, and, and it meant that you're so conservative about your decision-making that you don't want to take, you know, adopt anything that's, that's next generation or future. That, that's a real challenge as well, isn't it? It is a big challenge. And I think we have to acknowledge, Richard, that people are different places along what I call the adoption curve. And there are some people that are the early adopters, some people who maybe have a little bit higher um, tolerance for risk and other people who need to just to see it work in other places. And so the beauty of the, of I would say, technologies that have been adopted the quickest is you have some really key um, uh, clients or stakeholders that says, I'm willing to take those risks. And we work closely with them to adopt and show that success so that we can bring the other people along. Because it's not people don't want to take risks. It's just a question of the risk tolerance in terms of a culture that you're working with or an organization that you're working with or, frankly, an innovation ecosystem that you're working within. Yes, I, th I think it's a challenge for the likes of yourself and myself that are used to driving change um, to end up having a, a expecting other people have got that same tolerance to risk that we have and uh, they clearly don't. Um, I'd like to refer our, uh, our listeners back to episode one of the podcast. Um, and that's about how to build a digital strategy and, and making sure that you've got clear goals and that gives you confidence to adopt new technologies as well. Great. Uh, ben, you talked before about meeting the, need, the current needs and it's so important that you can solve today's problems whilst also looking out into the future. I think that's absolutely critical. So... What, are, what do we think about, what does it really mean to future-proof? Um, and, and I guess I'm thinking things about scaling and being able to use tomorrow's technologies without having to reinvent the wheel again. So I'd be interested to get your thoughts on that. 
So it's a great question, Richard. I think having a vision of where we want to head is critical because if you don't have a vision, you don't know if you're ever going to going to get there. And and then the question is, how does technology enable enable that vision? Let me give you an example. If you go back in the in the let's say mid 1900s, when people and it sounds tough, when people used to cough up blood is when we was first give the idea or first understand that they may have issues with lung cancer because that was the way that was the way we could diagnose those problems. Um, then we have different, you know, we could take um, x-rays. Now we can just take uh, measures in blood or now people are even thinking about using breath as a, as a, as a biomarker. But the vision was as soon as we could have a, um, the earliest symptom of some problem is when we would provide the intervention because we didn't want to over-treat. We didn't want to um, provide a solution to someone who didn't, who didn't need it. But you had this vision up front of saying, how do I get the right information to the right person at the right time with the right cost. And if you have that vision, then you say, okay, how does the technology of today enable us to do what we want to do? If I didn't have the computing power of a phone, or if I didn't have the interoperability of some of the devices with these new um, Bluetooth and RF and, and other types of uh, uh, Wi-Fi technologies, the idea of having home healthcare wouldn't even make any sense, right? Because why would you have this vision if you didn't have the technology? But I always had this vision of right time, right person, right um, information at the right cost gives me the best health care. And now as the technology enables, I'm constantly living into that you know, situation after situation. Yeah, that, that's really, really absolutely right. And you brought up the word information, which we really like, because raw data is one thing, but converting that to what we like to say is actionable information to enable people to do things differently or, or give them that opportunity to do things differently is so, so important. So, so, uh, so moving on to uh, the f- other than on future-proofing, I'm interested about um, things like scalability because we, you know, the data we use, I think today we use more data in a, in a, in a year than was ever used for, you know, tens or, or even hundreds of years before. So then we can end up with data overload and, and issues like that. Um, what are your th- thoughts about that, that, that conversion of that data to information and, and information to wisdom, et cetera? No, I, I think it's a critical point, Richard, is that too often in life, information without the right context leads to anxiety, leads to stress, leads to not sure what to do. Um, versus um, what I would say is actually making meaningful difference. So you may have heard in, in the field, of, again, I'll use another example of oncology, depending upon your um, uh, early, uh, early cancer scores at times, we have this period called watchful waiting. We're asking people to say, we think you may have cancer, we're not sure if you have cancer, but we're just asking you to, to be patient and, and wait with us. What do you do with that? And actually it's a big challenge to our system to say, how do we take that information and actually make it more useful? Right? Because we would rather... The question is, should you tell someone they have the disease or would you better just not, not saying anything? And, and so there's other pieces of questions that we're trying to solve around that. But to your point, I think the more we can take that information and provide it in a way that it can be useful to the caregiver, to the healthcare system, and actually at the end of the day to the patient who can become more and more empowered is critical. Our challenge today is that a lot of times that data or that information is not integrated. So people are only seeing a part of the problem. And the ability, I think, which the technology that we're working on that integrates all these different elements together to provide truly useful information, I think is the game changer that we're excited about. So, so Ben, wrap, wrapping up, um, 
I'm interested to talk about the the positive outcomes that care services might expect to see. Um, one of the things we've been talking about is is one removing false alarms or reducing false alarms because that's expensive and and inefficient in the sector. And the other one is the fact that care needs fluctuate. They don't just go one direction. They can go up and down, and and we need to be able to adapt to that. And and I'm just wondering how you would see that care services would expect to see improvements in those areas as well. I think that's an important piece. I think a lot of times we consider that over time care just gets worse and worse or, or more intense over time. But I think, as you said, with the right information, we're learning. So let's just take, the as you said, the example of, of having better understanding of when something happens. Is it a true alarm or is it a false alarm? As we gave the example of oncology, was it a true lesion or was it just a uh, something that showed up that uh, that should just be watched and doesn't need to be be taken care of. So I don't need to do a surgical procedure. I think that's critical. I'll use the example of diabetes. You know, we're now seeing with good information, coordinated care, we can step down medications. So it's not a question of just adding more and more medications. We can step down the medication with that information that's surrounding it. So when we future proof, we we're turning to a model what I call as a learning system. And so it, we're now moving from what I call a discrete once every 10 years, we update the model to we're learning the information it teaches us what's the best services to the right person in the right place at the right time and the right cost. And that constant learning that comes from that is providing the win for the patient, for the provider, for the physician, for the system, which is then driving a much more efficient process. So, so Ben, th- this, is, this is all great. So... I want to talk a little bit more about the responsibility for future proofing and and uh, you know getting these changes going. And if I could if I could start, I'll, I'll I'll give you a leading question. You know, right from the government, clearly there needs to be enough funding available, but but it cuts right across the the leaders of care. It cuts across procurement and commissioners. It 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 comes to the people who actually deliver care. They've all got a responsibility to want to adopt. And I guess that involves cultural change, ability to learn, ability to change what they do. And Ben, I just would like to get your thoughts on you know, where, where, where you see these responsibilities lying. I think you said it well, Richard. I, in the US, we have a saying, it takes a village. Um, and I don't think it can be a single group itself that can do it. I think it needs it needs everybody, and and the everybody's important, especially as we've talked now about um, what what your two IC is doing phenomenally well. A lot of times, transformation happens when you add in what I call another industry's perspective. And so, when you take the digital technologies group and you think of some of the expertise from the tech community and, and integrate that into healthcare and healthcare willing to listen, plus the technologies expertise together, supported around by a, a both, as you said, government at a, at a national level down to a, to a local level, to, to um, healthcare providers, both at a, you know, as you said, everywhere from procurement to implementation. Everyone's voice has to be heard and, and needs to be heard for us to be ultimately successful. You know, I, I go back to, you know, the turn of the century when, when people are looking for faster horses and you said, how did you change that? And you came up with a new automobile industry, right? Frankly, I think what we're, you're talking about here in terms of changing the healthcare system to be much more personalized, effective, home-based, you're revolutionizing healthcare significantly. And so you, you need to leverage the current experts, but now having these outside voices or complementary voices, let's put it that way, I think will also be important to, in this village of innovation to be ultimately successful. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. I, th- I think a lot of people who aren't keen on change, they have that, as you said, that ro- low risk tolerance discussion. And we remember in the Industrial Revolution, we had the Luddites that, that smashed up all the, the machines and things because they didn't, they really didn't want, because they were scared of it and, and they didn't need to be scared of it. Um, we employ more people than we've ever done. So I think that's uh, a, a really interesting one that we've really got to get everybody. And a lot of people blame or, or sit on the, the end users, the, the, the elderly or the vulnerable to say, oh, they won't want it when actually. It's the people themselves in the care sector that don't want it and they, they lean on them as, as a reason. And sometimes data security is another uh, issue that people lean on to use as an excuse not to share data with other people so they can keep control. Uh, have you experienced any of those issues as well? No, I think that's, I think that's, that's right. And I, the key that you said is as innovators traditionally – and I will just speak to a, a personal challenge I've had as I often get focused on the shiny object, what's new and exciting out there. And I think what you've mentioned, and I think it's critical for, for transitional changes, is to identify the potential problems that could exist. And don't become paralyzed by them, but say, here's the solutions and here's the safeguards we're putting in place to address that. Data security, data privacy is a big issue. We shouldn't minimize it, but we should just hit it head on and say, here's what we're doing to address it. But look at the positive benefits that we can see if we, if we address it in a, in a, in a careful way um, so that there's a win for everybody involved. Yeah, I think, I think one of the key challenges that we, we still see is, is how the money is allocated into those silos. And, and if uh, the person who wants or needs to invest in the new technology isn't receiving the benefits, then they're less likely to make that investment if somebody else accrues all the benefit. So it's really important that all of the stakeholders are aligned to get the best benefits from the solution rather than thinking of their own individual uh, departments, etc. Luckily, we are going to cover that in a, in, a, in a separate session in the future, so please stay tuned or uh, please talk to 2IC Care if you want to understand or see what uh, our findings have been on that topic. So Ben, thanks very much for coming. Really appreciate it. I know you're a very busy man. So I think um, you believe that uh, care providers should look beyond 2025? Absolutely. Great. And uh, in, that case, in that case, what would be the one big takeaway you think we could leave with our uh, listeners that they should be thinking about? As we talked about, I would encourage them to invest in the time to develop this, this future-proof strategy. Identify what are the critical places where we want to go in the future and how we can live into that starting today. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Caring for the Future. I hope to catch up with you next time when we'll be asking the question, why Andy is the bright future for tech-enabled care? Have a great week and look forward to seeing you next time.